Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Studio on iHeartRadio. My name's Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. You know my guest today. You love my guest today. I promise you've listened to his music many times over the years, whether you wanted to or not. I mean that in the nicest possible way. Let me explain. His indomitable 1987 soul pop classic, Never Gonna Give You Up, famously received a new lease on life in the 2000s when it became one of the most famous viral videos in history. Yes, I'm talking about the prank that dares not speak its name. The song was a number one single from the Smash album, Whenever You Need Somebody, which has gone quadruple platinum since its release, thanks to songs like the title track, Together Forever, another number one, the top 10 hit, It Would Take a Strong Man, and of course, the Rick Rolling anthem. Now he's gearing up to release an expanded 35th anniversary version featuring a number of remixes and also reimagined versions of several tracks. Alternate universe versions, he calls them, including a surprisingly moving piano ballad version of Never Gonna Give You Up. He's also hitting the road this summer with some big name friends as part of the Mixtape 2022 US Arena Tour. He's doing 57 nights alongside New Kids on the Block, Salt and Peppa, and En Vogue. He's got a busy few months ahead of him, and I'm grateful he took the time to stop by. I'm so happy to welcome Mr. Rick Astley. Um, you have a new deluxe, greatly expanded edition of Whenever You Need Somebody due out in time for the, the 35th anniversary. And it features a number of remixes and reimagined versions of a selection of tracks. You call them alternate universe versions, which I really love. Um, Never Gonna Give You Up as a piano ballad, Together Forever is like a, a jazz standard. I just think it's so cool. What led you to decide to give these songs a, a makeover? Um, to be honest, I have some friends in the UK um, in a band called Take that 
and I went on tour with them a couple of years ago and um, they and other people obviously have kind of re-looked to their old songs and obviously your fans want you to play them live the way that they were because they want their memories and all the rest of it but sometimes it's nice just to kind of fiddle around with them a little bit and um, it was just a nice experience to be honest I mean I've been singing you know never going to give you up together forever since 1987 and it's been kind of nice to sort of relook at them and don't get me wrong I still when it comes to gigging I understand that like I say people want to hear the original versions but I kind of feel that every now and again you can slip something in when no one's looking and kind of just turn it upside down you know what I mean and it's quite a nice thing to do so um yeah I mean like I say those songs are pretty old some of them you know so it's it, it's I still enjoy singing them live obviously but it's I think when I listen to them now sometimes I kind of think hmm how would we do that today you know so yeah Oh, it's, I love the way it's sung on these, too, because, I mean, obviously, as you say, the originals are classics, but by stripping back some of the production, it's mm. almost like more of the emotion comes to the fore, too. I think it's so cool. Yeah, I also think, as well, I, I was a kid when I did those vocals. I kid, I was 21 <laughs> when I did those vocals, and, and um, I, I do think that I'm probably a better singer than I was back then. I kind of, I've had some life, you know, I've been through some emotion in my life. You know, we have a daughter who's 30 years old now, can you believe? Um, and lots of things that come and go through anybody's life. Whether you know it or you don't, as a singer, you kind of somehow draw on that and somehow kind of filter it into the way you sing, I think. You know what I mean? There's more, if I sing certain lines now, they mean more to me. And even, even a song like Never Gonna Give You Up, when I sing that to an audience now, I really appreciate it more than I did when I was having the hit with it, you know, because it's been mm. part of my DNA for 30 something years. And so it's just a totally different feeling, to be honest, it really is. And, um, but it's a good feeling, it's nice, you know. Do you think that the, the best singers have a touch of the actor in them to be able to dial that in like on, on the day, yeah. on the stage when you go to the song? Yeah, I, I, I don't, um, the way I talk, I don't sing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, didn't <laughs> grow up, I didn't grow up on an island in between America and, and the UK to, to have this quasi sort of American accent when I sing. It's just all the guys that taught me to sing um, most of them, I'd say, anyway, sang with an American heart and an American soul and a bit of American R&B in them, do you know what I mean? And so therefore, that that's what most British singers do. We kind of, like I say, whether we know it or not, or whether we like to admit it or not, we've stolen something from American music. <laughs> and, and you've done it in reverse, because we gave you the Beatles and David Bowie and on and on, so you've done it in reverse as well. But I think that's more from... Um, I think that's more from a musical sense than it is a vocal sense. Do you know what I mean? I think I think the world has stolen from America in terms of how to sing vocals on a, on a on a modern day, let's say, last seventy years of like what we call modern music. You know, that's and I think that comes a lot from gospel. It comes a lot from country. It comes a lot from you know those those kind of genres of music that obviously are American. You know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have such a like, like a Philly soul voice in a way, too, or Motown, Tamla Motown. I mean, who were some of the people that made you want to sing when you were first getting in the music as a kid? Um, I guess I guess I'm the youngest of four kids, and my sister, uh, Jane, is 10 years older than me. She won't thank me for that, but there you go, Jane. Um, <laughs> um, she played everything, to be honest. She loved all kinds of everything, and she took me to some gigs in Manchester, which is the, the closest, biggest town to where I grew up. Um, so the first band I think I saw um, 
properly at a real gig. I was about 10 years old and she took me to see Supertramp. And Supertramp, obviously, you know, amazing songwriters, great live band and everything. It blew me away. I was just like, I just couldn't even, I just didn't know what world I'd entered kind of thing. Um, but she also loved, so she loved like a lot of progressive rock, funnily enough. She loved um, like so early Genesis and, and even deeper than that into progressive rock. But she loved the Beatles. She loved David Bowie. But she also loved Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. And I think a lot of those things, and she loved Motown as well. And I think a lot of those things, the melody of what Motown always had. And I think someone like, let's say, Stevie Wonder. I mean, that guy can sing the birds out of the trees. But melodically, he always did things that you 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 wanted to sing along with him. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. one of the most. He's one of the greatest artists that's ever lived. I think he's one of the most amazing songwriters as well. But the way he sang, you you can't help yourself but sing along. Do you know what I mean? He he sort of brings it out of you, and yeah. So so I guess I, I heard a lot of records. And my two brothers as well. You know, my I was the youngest, like I say. So they force fed me all kinds of music. But I think <laughs> I think somehow. Also, I was, when I was when I was really young, I was in the church choir. I mean, it wasn't a gospel choir, obviously, um, but the thing of singing with other people, I think, as well, I've always kind of really liked. And when I'm doing gigs, and I kind of work with the girls that we have in our band and what have you in terms of vocals and stuff, it's one of my favourite things. And we have a song called Cry for Help, and the girls at the end kind of emulate what the choir were doing in terms of ad-libs and stuff. And it's one of my favourite moments. I just wanted to keep going. You know, I want to be around other singers. It's just, I think it's an instinctive thing when a human sings, it just draws me in, you know, so. I heard a story, I don't know if this is true, that when uh, when Never Gonna Give You Up first came out, before the video came out, and there was just the picture of you on the record mm -hmm. sleeve, some listeners were like, this this can't be a 21-year-old kid. This has got to be some 45-year-old guy from Detroit, soul yeah. singer. Like, no, I mean, of course, of course. And a lot of people <laughs> have definitely mentioned that. And, and I found that, I mean, obviously, you know, like I said, you know, Bill Withers, um, all the guys from Motown, um, Latter-day, like uh, James Ingram as well, and, and Luther Vandross, and all, all those guys taught me to sing. Michael McDonald was one of my favourite singers. They didn't know they were teaching me. They didn't know they were teaching half the world to sing, but they were, because we all, we all copied them. Um, but I think for someone to say that I sounded like a middle-aged soul singer was a bit weird to me, because when I looked in the mirror... <laughs> I look like an 11-year-old kid from the north of England. Do you know what I mean? So, oh, I think that's uh, the best compliment, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. It's a huge compliment. But it's also, I actually think it's one of the secret ingredients why that track worked. Because when people did see the video, they were so freaked out because they might have heard the song on the radio that that was almost part of the charm of it. It's like, that dude? You know what I mean? So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, I think that's the, that's, the, that's the other thing is that Obviously, we have the internet, we have YouTube, we have all, you know, so anybody can see anything now. But back then, you had to go and watch videos on MTV. And MTV was such an influential thing. It, be, it was such a massive thing for an artist to get on MTV because you knew that on a, on a certainly on an American basis, but on a worldwide basis, you know, you had not just your song, but kind of your representation of what you were, what was supposed to be and what you, you know, that was a huge, 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 huge thing. So... But I think, I think I mean, my videos, my word, man, when I see my videos now, it's really hard for me to watch them, if I'm honest. I can giggle really? at them, I can giggle at them, but it's really hard, yeah, because I'm like, who is that guy? What the hell is he doing? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's really weird, yeah, it is.
Do you have any memories of uh, from from shooting the video? I mean, the main thing I've been talking about that recently, actually, quite a bit. The main thing is that um, I think people, when they look at the raincoat, still still like a stripy t-shirt, by the way. But when they look at the raincoat um, and the turtleneck, and the, you know, I think people think that was all styled. There was no styling whatsoever. I just brought a bag <laughs> with some clothes in it, and it was the middle of summer when we shot it. It was actually a hot day for once in England, in London, and. They just kind of said, look, stand in front of that chain link fence and do what you do. And I was terrified, so I put my sunglasses on so nobody oh. could actually, you know, just hid behind the sunglasses and shuffled around a bit and, you know, pretended to sing the song. And But if you think about it, today, everyone is used to being filmed because whatever you're doing and wherever you go, I'm sure you've got several cameras in the studio all the time with you, you know, but also when you're you know, doing whatever you're doing in terms of any kind of media these days, whether it's radio, whether it is actually a TV. Yeah, there's the TV cameras, but there's also half a dozen other cameras filming the cameras filming, you know, everything is filmed. So, and for younger people now, they just grow up, you know, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is, just filming stuff constantly. We didn't do that. My generation didn't do that. Nobody had a video camera. First time I saw a video camera, it's like I'd gone to the moon or something. It was like space technology. You know, someone is walking around with something that you can film. You know what I mean? It was like, so to go and be in front of a film crew to make a video was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And the other crazy thing is there was no way of seeing what it looked like. You just shot it on film. And then a week or so later, you went and looked at the edit of it. Nobody could film oh, wow. it. Just think about that for a second. Nobody could film it and go, okay, did we get the shot right? Is this right? What does Rick look like? You know, should he really be wearing that raincoat? There was none of that. You know what I mean? It was just, it's just, you film it, you put it in the can, and a week later, you go and see the edit. That was the way it was. Uh, this begs the question, do you still have the raincoat? No, it, it actually, it dis well, disappeared. I saw it disappear. I went to do uh, one, of, one of the first, first, outdoor radio events that I did was in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And I was chatting to this guy who's a really big TV and radio presenter and has been for a long time, but you know, he, he was working there at the time. And I had the raincoat on and all these kids just started getting closer and closer and closer until we kind of both got mobbed really. Um, and then someone thought, it's one of these kids thought, I'm having that coat. So he just started, he just braced it, he just started pulling it up. And because I was live on the radio and I'd never really done a lot of this before, I thought, look, do I turn around and kind of like shove him or punch him or whatever? And before I know what I'm doing, the raincoat is just sailing across this sea of like a thousand kids in this like town square in Belfast. And I'm just going, that's my coat. I bought that coat, man. That's not a present from the record company. That's mine. And um, <clears throat> so that was it. I never saw it again, but I do see it occasionally. Um, you know, obviously people come to gigs very now and again wearing a raincoat. <laughs> so I do see it again every now and again. But um, the original one, I don't know where that is. But yeah, there you go. Well, we should put out a call. Okay, I'm going to give the end of this broadcast. We'll put out the address for iHeart. No questions asked. Send the raincoat back. Yeah, we'll exactly. get it to Rick. Yeah, yeah. Get some, we'll go Indiana Jones on him. We'll go, we'll go seek this out. Mm. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The phrase, you know, overnight sensation gets tossed around quite a bit, but I mean, you really did go from touring, you know, pubs in Birmingham to mm. uh, Wembley fairly quickly, right? How did you cope yeah. with that? Um, the, the, I guess the one thing that happened with myself was that it did happen so quick especially with that first song never going to give you up it went from me doing kind of like, like some radio promotion up and down the country and stuff uh we hadn't even made a video the week that it went to number one and back in those days you didn't go in the chart at number one it took like five or six weeks to get there especially with a new artist and um so it was kind of a bit weird if i'm honest and i never really caught up with myself even i don't think you know, I always felt like I just left the room and I, and I was entering the room from, from another door, if you know what I mean. So my career was like five paces in front of me. And it, it was really weird. And really, I mean, listen, a lot of fun. I got to do some amazing things and see some amazing things and be in some great places and all the rest of it. But it was pretty weird. And I think I would have loved to have just paused it for a second to just take a breath and look around, but there wasn't really time for that. That's what happens in pop music very often. It's like, boom, and that's it, you know? Um, and also because I was kind of on my own, really. I traveled with somebody who was great, who looked after me and everything, but I mean, at the end of the day, I'm the one 
you know, in the picture and that, and that. So I had a really good time and everything. But when I look at certain artists today who, you know, have, have been massive, like, let's say, I don't know, uh, Justin Bieber or someone like that, who's, who's, who, who was, he was a lot younger than I was, by the way. I mean, he was a kid. He literally was a kid. But you look at someone like that career, he's absolutely globally massive. And it's his name at the end of the day. And it's, it's, it, it stops with him. Do you know what I mean? I do kind of think sometimes the pressure that people have got today is a lot more than I had because obviously they've got the internet. And like I say, every clown has got a camera in their pocket. <laughs> you know, I've even been to the bathroom, right? To the men's room. I'm stood in the men's room. So you know what I'm doing in there, right? And someone, no. takes, their phone, someone takes their phone and I'm going, what the, f what are you, you know what I mean? And they're looking at me as if I'm being weird about it. Right. Yeah. So, so what he goes through, I don't know, you know? Maybe maybe he never goes in a bathroom, you know, without security. Maybe, maybe he does. I don't know, but you know, it's kind of. I think though. I think I think the generation of this last ten years, fifteen years since, you know, the technology we have today and the social media we have. I think it's got to be tougher for them. I mean, I, I, I had a pretty fun time to be honest, because, you know, I I could kind of like, have moments of you know, getting drunk without anybody noticing and doing, hanging out with my friends. And there wasn't a lot of that, obviously, but, you know, it wasn't the same as it is today. So, um, I, like I say, I wish, I wish I could have been actually, I wish I could have grabbed it a bit more and been in the centre of it. And I kind of felt it was happening to this other dude five steps in front of me. Do you know what I mean? That's what it felt like a lot of the time. Do you have any moments, though, that still, I know you had, like, Robert Plant wanting to get a photo with you and stuff like that. Yeah, you moments I mean, that you hold on to that yeah, really I are mean, fun? I, I think that's that's one of the that's one of the, the craziest things about the, the fame side of things, because, like the line Julia Roberts says, it isn't real. <laughs> you know, it, and it isn't. It actually isn't real. You know, when I'm at home putting the kettle on for what my wife and I first thing in the morning, fame is not real at that moment. It's only real when... Well, obviously, when somebody recognizes you, that's when it's real. And it's real. Hmm. It's not even when you're on stage. I don't think fame is real. Because I know you're famous, but it, I think fame is that weird thing when people, it's almost the, the height of it is when people aren't expecting you there and then see you. That That's when it I'm really like, kicks oh. in. Yeah, exactly. If you've bought a ticket to go and see a band, you get excited about it and everything. But it, the fame thing is sort of slightly gone for me a little bit because you're in the room with them doing what they do. You know what I mean? And enjoying that. And so, yeah, but I mean, obviously, that in that particular example, this thing, because I've, I've said that about, you know, I'm thinking Robert Plant is walking over to me and I'm like, what, what, what have I done wrong? I'm kind of looking at him <laughs> going like, you know, um, and um, and I think it was his nephew or something, just, it just, you know, kind of liked me. And, and he said, oh, could I get a quick photograph? Because I want to send it, you know, and, and, um, and again, that would have been back in the days of like a real camera kind of thing, you know, that, that, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, but I met a lot of people who, if I'm brutally honest, I would have thought wouldn't have even spoken to me because I was in a different genre of music. Do you know what I mean? I, obviously I was, I was pop and I was, I was pretty, I'm not putting it down in any way, shape or form. I'm just sort of saying there are people, there are what I call artists who've written songs that have stood the test of time, meant something lyrically when they wrote them, and it still has that message today. And then there's people who make pop music, you know what I mean? There's sort of different, you know. And I think sometimes I've met people and I've been pretty shocked that they've, for one, known who I am, and kind of also been pretty kind of generous with the time. And do you know what I mean? You kind of think they'd almost like look the other way and hope that, you know, 
I don't know. So I think it's kind of nice when people kind of do that. It's uh, it, it sort of restores your faith in humanity. You know what I mean? That they can be kind of normal as well, and you know, want to take a picture uh-huh. for the nephew. You know what I mean? So. Well, you, you you did take a step back for some time. Yeah. Something that I didn't realize in t- until looking into it during I think this time you sang on the Lion King soundtrack, which <laughs> I I didn't well, realize this. Yeah. How did that come to be? Um, when you say sang on it, um, my voice is hidden in the background of it. Um, I literally do. <laughs> hey, I listened to it after I found that out. I can totally hear. Okay. Um, well, funnily enough, I uh, my wife. One of her best friends is married to uh, Elton John's um, guitar player. So a guy called Davy Johnston, who's an yeah. absolute legend. He's one of the loveliest guys in rock and roll. He's just, he's the loveliest guy anyway, full stop. Um, so we used to sort of go and see Davy quite a bit and obviously go to a lot of Elton gigs and stuff. And when they used to come to London to do a bit of recording, or they were going to be there for a couple of months doing recording and stuff, I'd go and see Davy sometimes and hang out and have a coffee and do whatever. And I went to the studio one day, and um, they were doing a Lion King, obviously, and and uh, a guy called Gary Barlow, who, funnily enough, is in Take That, and da-da-da, who's really good friends with Elton as well. Um, and so there was a bunch of us there, and they were going to do background vocals. And, and Davey, obviously, who's always done backgrounds with, with Elton, he's quite a, a signature part of that sound of the BVs and everything, really, because they're just so great. Um, we just said, right, okay, so like four of us went in there and Bob, who was, was the bass player in Elton's band as well, I think the four of us just kind of stood there. Um, I think Gary was actually leading it quite a bit because obviously he knows a bit about singing with guys, you know, because he's been in a boy <laughs> band for 30 years. Good like point. And, um, and uh, yeah, so we just did all, we did, we did the BVs on um, Can You Feel The Love Tonight? And um, I think it was just that one song, actually. I can't remember, maybe a couple, but anyway. Um, and it was pretty amazing because obviously... It's Elton John, come on. Um, and also it was amazing because he was doing something quite different. He was kind of being himself as an artist, Elton John, but he was also writing songs to be, basically, in an animated movie. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it, and it was like, how do you get that right? How, what, where, where's, the, where's the line of it being schmaltzy and sort of like this is a kid's hmm. movie? or just writing a really great song, do you know what I mean? And, you know, he's written quite a lot of great songs, so I'm sure, you know, he was pretty comfortable and confident. But it's... I was pretty impressed, is what I'm saying, because I think it's a hard line to navigate to do something that works on its own as just being a great song, but really works within that, doing the job it's meant to do, do you know what I mean? Which is there to, you know, make the movie rise and what have you. And so it's a pretty amazing thing just to be there on the day never mind sing on it and that to be honest is the only it's the only uh gold or platinum record we've ever hung up in the house because because <laughs> it was in our daughter's bedroom. real that's the only one yeah yeah because that was because i was in our daughter's bedroom because she loved obviously that movie and anything oh. like that and so it went up in her room yeah so well hey did youtube send you a uh, a plaque for never going to give you up breaking a billion views that's um, an astonishing no uh, um I'll, I'll have to get on to that yeah i need a plaque for that of course i do um no i mean it's just crazy and i mean obviously i've been super lucky with that song i can understand that a lot of artists would be freaked and they'd be upset because it you know the whole rick rolling thing and everything that's happened with that song some artists would probably balk at that and run a million miles but i also think 
that the rickrolling thing started around 2007, I think, and I had only just started around that time to think about and start doing a couple of gigs and stuff. So I think I might have done some gigs in Japan by then, maybe. I went. I used to get offers to go and sing my old songs, and I just didn't do it for like 10 or 15 years. The only time I sung them was at friends' weddings. That's the only time I did it, <laughs> right? And so I got this offer to go to Japan, and as usual, I was just saying, thank you very much. I don't really do that anymore, but it's a lovely offer. Thank you. And my wife and our daughter, who's about 15 at the time, kind of huddled together in the kitchen and then came over and sort of said, <clears throat> we're going. <laughs> so, so, so we went to Japan because we knew we'd get looked after. Do you know what I mean? I mean, going, going yeah. to Japan or something is one thing, but doing it when you're doing gigs and everything is a totally different ball game because, you know, so we went and had a family holiday and everything. And, you know, that song from around that moment and me gigging again and what have you has just sort of taken on a life and a world of its own. So, and obviously YouTube was in its infancy around 2007 I would imagine but it's just become a well a go-to you know and it's it's crazy think about the other thing is this I've said this recently whoever said a billion of anything <laughs> in the 80s a million dollars you know what I mean it's like who, who used the term a billion of anything right and now it's just become part of everyday language. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. you know, this song streamed three billion whatevers, and this, you know, it, it, the thought the thought of a billion of anything is weird. And um, so we're living in kind of strange times. If if you're young and that's what you're used to, then we're not. That they're just your times, and that's what's normal. But for somebody of my age, you know, I'm in my fifties. It's kind of like, what the hell, you know? So it's pretty pretty amazing, really, to be part of a very small group of people who've had a billion streams of their song on youtube it's kind of nuts you know i, I think it's something like 23 videos from the pre-internet age that are, i'm sure i'm sure it's... that's going to ramp up at, you know it, it it will be a very very steep ramp i think there are going to be a lot of people doing that for sure you know because that's what the world does it just sits on its phone looking at stuff doesn't it you know what i mean so yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah now, you mentioned going to Japan. There is a, a, a great clip from, I think, 2017 of you uh, with the Foo Fighters doing yeah, a great mashup I mean, on stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been to Japan a bunch of times, actually, and I've had just some amazing experiences there. Just some crazy, like, I, I hadn't, going back to that first time when we went as a, on a family holiday, I literally had not sung Never, you know, Never Gonna Give You Up Together Forever and, and any of those songs. I'd never sung any of them for about 15 years in front of an audience, a real audience with a band and a whole thing, you know, everything. And so that was just crazy. And and then obviously going to do that festival, which I was, you know, I'm not I'm not embarrassed to admit this. I was lucky to get on that festival. It's a really, really big thing. And it was like, you know, and I saw Foo Fighters were headlining. And I was just thinking, me? Crazy, whatever. But, you know, great. So, but then first night, we, we didn't get to see them because it's in Osaka and it's in Tokyo. And we just, because of scheduling, we just couldn't get to do it. So second night, I'd already done my gig because it was the afternoon, so I'd done my thing, so I'm done. So I'm jet-lagged like you wouldn't believe. I've had a couple of beers. I'm stood at the side of the stage because those guys are amazing and they're really comfortable with having anybody just sit where they want and just let's get on and rock, you know. And so, yeah, so I, I ended up being invited on stage. They'd already kind of jammed through Never Gonna Give You Up in their way. And I got invited onto the stage to sing it, and it was just just pure madness you know um and um but just as we all know just one of the greatest greatest bands ever you know so fantastic 
We're, we're speaking, uh, I think, less than a week after uh, the beyond tragic death of Taylor Hawkins. Do you have any memories of, of interacting? Of course. With I mean, I, obviously, I met them a bunch of times and hung out with them and, and, you know, was invited to sing a couple of times with them, obviously. And you just, I've got no words for it, to be honest. I, I mean, I just don't think there's any way of describing the emotion around that. I just think it's just, it's actually, it's just too much is what it is. Yeah. It's just, yeah. and I can't, you know, I just can't even put it into, I can't even put it into thought really. And obviously I, 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 it's not like, it's not, you know, it's not like I knew them super well or anything, but I just can't imagine. It's just, um, yeah, it's just too much. Just a, just a beautiful, beautiful energy around a human being, you know, and it's just, it's just too much to even think about it really, yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Well, you are... um about to hit the road very soon with a bunch yeah. of musical friends. New Kids on the Block, Salt and Pepper, and Vogue for the Mixtape 2022 yeah. Arena Tour. 57 dates. Good I know, Lord. <laughs> That is, I know. that is a lot. If they would have said that first. I might have said, no. <laughs> um, no, we, we got this offer. Um, I don't know when it was now, sometime, some time ago. And, and obviously you've just mentioned three artists there who have been absolutely massive you know, on a worldwide basis, but I remember coming to America especially and always feeling a bit, um, I don't have imposter syndrome exactly, but I think when you come to America, you realize 
somehow how small Britain is. And even though you've been big there and you might have been big in Europe and different whatever, you come to America and you go, ah, now we're playing with the big boys. <laughs> and um, I still have that feeling a little bit, if I'm honest. I do. Because, really? Like, yeah, I do a little bit because it's, I think, I think, I think the music business in America has been a profession for a long time, and I think the rest of the world has slowly caught up. I think here, like movies, you know, it's like, no, no, I work in movies, that's what... Yeah, but when are you going to get a real job? No, no, I work <laughs> in movies, that's what I, you know. And I, and I do, I think it's always been that way a little bit. And um, I'm not saying, I think from a creative point of view, a small country like Britain has way outpunched itself, do you know what I mean? Punched way above its way. But I just think... You know, those three bands that we've just mentioned, New Kids, Salt and Pepper, on Vogue, I remember looking at them on MTV and stuff and just sort of thinking, yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just building them up for the sake of it. I'm saying from a distance, I, I used to always sort of think, hmm. <laughs> because, I don't know, I mean, I, I, don't, I think it's hard sometimes to really see yourself, I think, because you're in, you're in the bubble too much. You need to be outside of it. And... I think especially as well, you know, listening to on vocals and stuff, it's something, like I said at the beginning of this, that's always really, really, really um, moved me when people can really sing. Um, so that, that I'm really looking forward to that for one thing. I'm probably going to watch their set every single night, to be honest, uh, 57 times. Um, and obviously, you know, Salt and Pepper, they've got some monster, monster tunes. And and it's so funny because you you... You say their name and everybody sings, you know, one of many songs back to you straight away. But also they do it even if they're like 12 years old or if they're <laughs> old enough to be around when the songs came out the first. But you know what I mean? And it's, I think that stands, they, they've stood the test of time, those songs, really, really well. And New Kids, it speaks for itself. You know, you know, I'm an invited guest on this massive arena tour. And like I say, you know, those guys were probably one of, if not the... I don't know about first, but they were a boy band that exploded in such a way globally that it was just like, what the hell is going on? You know, because we've seen <laughs> band bands do it. But in terms of even boy band, I didn't even know what that term meant, to be honest, I don't think. I think that was like, an, I didn't even realize what that meant. And and so I think they kind of carved out their own space sort of thing, you know. So, uh -huh. yeah, so I think it's going to be, I mean, I've looked at the, you know, in terms of like the hits that those three and myself have had, and I've kind of thought, you know, that's that's going to be quite a long gig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? seriously. And um, yeah, so I, I, like I say, I'm I'm buzzed about it, and I kind of do feel not like an imposter, but I'm the one British guy, and um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, I have done little tours in America, and and I love it. And like I say, it's where a lot of the favourite music that kind of got me into music and taught me how to sing and all this it came from. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to actually go and play in front of an audience that are used to seeing new kids for one thing, because obviously there's going to be a lot of their audience there. You know, that's kind of, it's the mixtape at the end of the day. We're invited guests, you know, so um, it's going to be amazing, I think. My my last question before I let you go, you're, you're known for uh, performing... Uh 
Highway to Hell by ACDC <laughs> at the end of uh, some of your shows. Uh, do you have any any surprises in the set list this time around? Going to do think, some Morrissey I songs? No, I don't think I'll be doing that on that, no. I mean, one of the things, <laughs> I got started in a band at school, like a lot of people do, and I, I was playing drums when I started, but I used to sing a little bit because I always sung anyway in, in the choir and school plays and everything. So I used to sing police songs from the drums in the first band I was ever in. Second band I was in, I used to drum and sing a little bit and stuff, and we used to murder... Um, various songs by various artists, but I love doing it. And the band that works with me all the time, my kind of live band and what have you, very often, especially, especially, and we all kind of know it's coming. When we go, like, let's say to Asia, so we've done Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, what have you, on a run of gigs or what have you, we know we're getting on a plane home and it's going to be like 12 hours, 14 hours flight home. So we know the night before we're all going out big time, right? So Julian, our tour manager, is already looking for a bar that's got a set up. You know what I mean? Drums, bass, guitar, yeah. right? And we're in it. That's that. That's just happening. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And sometimes when we've played festivals recently, we will go and find the secret stage and ask, can we play? Like the night before, you know, and oh, there may even be beer involved. And, um, <laughs> and, um, but we never play my songs. We just go and play covers. And I absolutely love it. And and that song in particular, and that album, Highway to Hell, is how I kind of taught myself to play drums. And listen, I'm not a great drummer, but I've got reasonable feeling stuff. And it's just one of the all-time records to learn to play drums to. So even if... You know, even if we've gone through a whole technological age of drums becoming a different thing in the way they're recorded and blah, 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 and the, ugh, go back to that record. Because if you want to, if you want to, if you want to try and feel something about playing the drums, go to Highway to Hell by ACDC, that album, because it's just phenomenal. And that's the way everyone should learn to play drums as far as I'm concerned. But there you go. Hey, Amen. Mr. Rick Astley, you are the man. Thank you. Thank you. So much for your, your time today and most importantly, your music. It's been such a joy talking to you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Studio, a production of iHeartRadio. For more episodes of Inside the Studio or other fantastic shows, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.